Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Everybody said amen. You can be seated this morning. Why don't you just turn to somebody beside you and say you're thankful that they're here in church today. We're going to conclude our study, uh, our hiding place for this spring. Uh, week one, uh, Brother Bird taught us on the importance of hiding the word in our hearts. He taught from Psalm 119. Week two, Brother Rayleigh reminded us of the opportunity to, to find refuge under the shadow of the Almighty, Psalm 91. And then this past week, Brother Williams admonished us of the call to enter into his gates, his courts with thanksgiving and praise in Psalm 100. And, and this week, week four, we're going to conclude our study and take the majority of our text this morning from Psalm 27. We'll spend the majority of our time there today. And we're going to talk about the subject, seek to hide. Seek to hide. I'm thankful that he's our refuge. God is our protector. Have you ever have you ever thought that I'd just like to run away? I was hoping I'd get that response. I wouldn't be all by myself. I mean, have you really ever thought I'd just like to hide myself away and you ever been so emotionally drained that you just wanted to crawl underneath a rock and just be forgotten? We as human beings certainly cannot deny the reality of life and the current climate in which that life is taking place. We may not want to openly admit it, but we certainly cannot deny the reality of life in the current climate, and we can't deny the daily challenges that face us every day. The demands of life, the constant tugging of the world and the responsibilities, the stresses and the distresses, a relentless spiritual enemy that seeks to destroy the very fabric of which we are made. And the emotional, the physical toll that it takes is very, very real. And so when those very real situations bear down on us, our natural inclination is to hide, perhaps run. And I believe that with that, this morning, we are in very familiar company when we look at the early life of David. David had many hiding places. David sought many a refuge from the jealousy-induced pursuit of Saul. However, in each of these hiding places, his pursuer uncovered and sometimes even overran these places of concealment. David ran to Samuel, but the prophet couldn't protect him. Saul followed him there. David hid in the wilderness of Ziph, but the Ziphites betrayed his location to Saul. David thought he might find shelter in a little town called Keilah that he had saved from a Philistine siege, but 
No, because Saul subsequently marched on Keilah. The Lord told David that the men of Keilah would deliver David up to Saul, and so he and his men fled from that place. Finally, David found a new home. It was among his old enemies, the Philistines. King Achish of the Philistines gave David the town of Ziklag to live in and call his own. But while David was away in battle, Amalekites captured Ziklag and burned it to the ground. And so using this information alone, this very circumstantial information, one could deduce that there was no place that David could hide from his enemies. By all appearance, there was no safe place for him. And I'll tell you this morning that that fact is the truth. That in the physical, David would never find that safe place or that safe space. And I suppose that here this morning, that same sentiment would hold true for us even here today. Perhaps even if we could find some, some physical place to hide us away from life's troubles, I would submit to you that that solution would be temporary at best. David would never find that physical fortress to perpetually protect him. David would never find that physical location on this earth to keep him safe from his enemies. But what he did locate was a, was a place spiritually that would hide him. And he wrote in Psalm 27 and 4, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And so I could pose the questions once more. Have you ever just wished to hide? Have you ever been so emotionally overcome with life that you just wished that you could find a place to disappear and never can be found? Well, this morning I come to you with an unfortunate news that there is no place on this earth that exists that I can offer you here today in a physical location. But what I can attest to here this morning is that there is a spiritual place that exists and his name is Jesus. That's the good news for us here today is that there is a hiding place and our solace rests in the fact that there is a refuge and it is all found in him. Psalm 27 and 1, the Lord, David said, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me in this, well, I'll be, well, will I be confident? The psalmist begins with a very matter of fact, a very, very confident statement. The Lord is my light and my salvation. This psalm, perhaps used in the, in the, in the preparation of battle, begins 
with confidence in God's protective provision. These three verses express confidence in God's and God, based on the psalmist's experience in three ways. One, that God has been his light, that God has been his salvation and his stronghold. The reference first here to light is a common figure of comfort. However, what's more, not only does God provide the light, not only does God provide the comfort, but he is also referenced to be that very thing. You see, God is often associated with light throughout the Old Testament scripture. But here, very uniquely, David applies the connection in a more personal fashion when he said, God is my light. In other words, and I don't believe that we would take anything from the text by saying it like this, but David was saying, God is become my light. God is my light. Likewise, confidently, we can say that very thing here today because for us, God is become my light. We know that. We know that Jesus is that light and we see that parallel in scripture to Jesus himself when he said in John 8 and 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This comprises the second I am statement made by Jesus in John's gospel. It was in the feast of the tabernacles following the water drawing and the pouring ceremony that the Jews would illuminate the temple to represent that light. They would illuminate the temple court with torches and celebrate with song and dance. And it was here that Jesus stood in the midst of them and declared himself to be the light of the world, fulfilling the true significance of the phase in that feast. However, Jesus was not speaking specifically to a metaphorical statement. He was not merely saying that in a philosophical sense. He was not just associating himself with the light. He was saying, I am the light. All that Old Testament reference to light as it pertained to God was and is personified in Jesus Christ himself. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus not only brought the light, he is the light. He is that all encompassing. He is that all providing. He is that all knowing, all needing thing that man needs and that is the light. He's the light of revelation. He's the light of understanding and he is the light that dispels all darkness. He is the fulfillment of all mankind needed, will ever need and needs at this very moment. He is the light. Now, I don't mind telling you this morning, I don't like the dark. I don't think I've outgrown being afraid of the dark. I don't like the dark. I really don't. I'm not saying that as a convenient thing. I, I don't like being able to see. I don't like doing anything at night. Nights for sleeping. I don't like driving at night. I don't like being in the dark. I never grew out of it. I've sat in some pretty dark spaces. I, physically, I've sat in some dark places. I've sat in guard towers. 
in the pitch black dark where you could hear something going on, but you couldn't necessarily see something going on. I don't know who that is out there, but I hope they're friendly. I was thankful when they shot those flares in the air that would light up the darkness and you could see what was going on, who is out there. I don't like feeling that uneasy feeling. I'm not being able to see, but I'm thankful for the light. Can I tell you this morning, sometimes by choice, not always by choice, but spiritually, I've sat in some pretty dark spaces. I've sat in some pretty dark places, but I'm thankful if he were here today, I could grab a hold of his hand and, and reach it to the sky with Micah and say, rejoice not against me, oh mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm thankful for the light. I'm thankful that we don't have to sit in darkness. I'm thankful that when Jesus is in our lives, we don't have to fear that darkness because darkness Darkness cannot resist the light. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life, hear me, was the light of men, and the darkness shineth in the darkness, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness couldn't understand it and the darkness couldn't snuff it out because there is no amount of darkness, no matter how deep, no matter how vast, no matter how wide, it has never ever snuffed out so much as a candle, no matter how small its flame. And can I tell you this morning, there is no amount of spiritual darkness here on, on March the 27th, 2022 in this world. There is no amount of spiritual wickedness that could ever overtake the light it can't it won't and so that is why there is no coincidence that the Lord being our light is directly connected to the Lord being our salvation the Lord is my light and my salvation we are called out of darkness into his marvelous light and when we are born again the light of God can truly shed light into our lives Consequently, if we keep our hearts closed, giving safe harbor to our sin, we hold darkness inside and simultaneously shut out the light of God's grace, forgiveness, and His presence. But on the other hand, if we'll just open our hearts to Him and allow Him to come in, if we'll repent of our sins and invite Him into our lives, it's like throwing open the door to pure daylight. When we allow our lives to be subject to his light, we can be confident that he will be our light, our salvation, and he will be our strength. Without doubt, without doubt, David was a strong man. I know the Bible talks about him being small and ruddy, but he was a strong man. If he was small, he had to be strong. I mean, physically strong. 
I mean, after all, he did carry the sword of the giant that he killed. It had to be a big sword. It was a big man. So no doubt he was strong. We know he was militarily strong. He was an expert warrior. He was a brilliant strategist. He certainly wasn't someone that you would want to tie up with. No, he hung out with guys that's a lot tougher than we are. He ate breakfast with them. I heard Jay Chosworth say one time, don't let the heart fool you. Because he'd kill you and write a song about it and sing it at your funeral and play the harp. David was, he was a tough guy. I would agree with that. Don't let the heart fool you. He was a tough guy. But although he was a strong man and although, yes, he won many battles, he didn't let his military mind or his physical prowess to convince himself that he could ever do anything without God, all by himself. He said in Psalm 27 and 1, the Lord is the strength of my life. And so if David was a strong man and David was a military strategist, he became a king. He was mindful-wise, he was head above all, and he knew that he couldn't do anything without God, then we cannot afford to assume that we can do anything without him either. To be so arrogant to think that I can face this world without God in my life is a setup for failure. End of subject. And so there should not, there cannot be, there must not be any aspect of my life that is closed off to God. Because the matter of the fact is this, like David, we are surrounded on every side by an enemy that seeks to destroy us. That's how. That's how even though surrounded, even though he was pursued, even though he was chased after an enemy, enemies of Israel and enemies of God, David could say things like, Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? My heart shall not fear. In this will I be confident. It was because the Lord was his light, his salvation, and his strength. It's a picture of a well-rounded, manifold blessing of God and his presence in a life that places him in such a position. Contemporary in his thinking, forward in his look, David desired constant, anywhere, anytime presence of God, even in a time where it was not necessarily possible. He said in Psalm 27 and 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. This is the prophetic messianic nature we find in the Psalter. David's constant desire was for the presence of God because that's where he felt the safest. In a day when the house of the Lord was an occasional visitation, in a day where the house of God was a seasonal destination rather than a habitation, David sought not only to visit, but he longed to live there, to dwell in God's presence. He wasn't just interested in the minimum requirement to meet just three times during the feast, David wanted to make it a dwelling place. Now, it would be a very simple application here for us today to relate this to our modern-day society, 
to those who not only that, that only advance toward the house of God on holidays or special occasions, but I would like to take it one step further here this morning. It could be it could be that it could apply to even us here today because if we are not careful, a similar yet more dangerous mindset can infiltrate into the thinking of those who attend church on a regular basis. And so I just pose these questions not to you but to me and you can sit there and listen as I answer them rhetorically. Am I coming here week after week, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, simply to fulfill an obligation? Is my mind on what matters when I get here? Am I engaged in what is actually going on or am I going through the motions? Do I enter into the house of God to have an encounter with the God of the house or is my relationship solely based on protocol? David never wanted to be out of the presence of God. Another prophetical ethos of daily contact with God, Paul admonishes us in, in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? And so the story of David encourages us not to just seek God's presence every time we come to church, but to seek God every single day of our lives. I am so thankful that at, at the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, God made his spirit available and it is not just bound within these four walls of this building. But I can experience him through the outpouring and the infilling of his spirit and become the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so I can lift my voice wherever I'm at. If I'm in the office or I'm at home or I'm on a side road somewhere, I can lift my voice and begin to magnify him and become the temple of God with his presence. It's a privilege to feel him every day. However, yet, there is something that can be experienced in the house of God. And so we cannot afford to take on an either or mentality. I don't agree with the sentiment that me and Jesus got our own thing going on and I don't need church. And I certainly don't think that the only experience that we have with God should only take place in the house of God. It cannot be either or. It must be both and. A both and way of living. And so we can't afford to swing too far to the right or one side or one far to the left. David also said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And so there is beauty to be found in the house of God, there is beauty to be found among the people. In 2018, Brother Everett Bird and myself and Bobby took an impromptu trip to Washington, D.C. for a day. We went to the National uh, Day of Prayer there that uh, several different apostolic groups were gathering to have prayer uh, at the National Monument. And so we were privileged to be able to go to that and, and take place take part in that service and pray and, and, and be with God's people. But when that was over, 
we had a while before our next plane coming back to Jacksonville. And so these guys probably hated me by the end of the day. But I was like, this is my first time in Washington. It could very well be my last time in Washington. We don't have a car. We're going to hoof it. And we're going to look at some stuff. And so we walked. We walked a long way. We went to the White House. And somebody told me, said, if you ever get to go to Washington, one thing you need to see is the National Archives. That's where the, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, all those things are held. And so I wanted to make a point to go there. And we went there and we went in. And the, the just if you've been there, you probably it didn't do as much for you as it did for me, but it, it blew my mind. Just the, the way everything was constructed, it was beautiful. You think about the history that's there, those, those signed documents that was signed way back then, the history of this country and how it began was all right there in that room. It was all inspiring, and it must have looked so because we were standing there kind of looking around, and the next thing I know, a Secret Service guy is in front of me saying, here's the rules. You can do this, but you can't do that. You can walk up there and look, but don't take a picture because the flash will do this and do that, and he just went through all these rules. I don't know what he said because I'm still looking around like, okay, that's all right. But I got to thinking about that. Those guys are there day in, and day out. And so they're not enamored by the sandstone and the documents that stand before them. It's just another day at the office for them. And so all they're there to do is enforce the rules, make sure that you get there, you see what you need to see, and you get out. It's just another day at the office for them. And so I thought about this applying to what we're talking about here today. I don't want to just become so accustomed to this. I don't want to become so complacent with this that I cease to be amazed at the beauty of God in God's house. To enter into his courts with thanksgiving. To enter into the gates with praise. And to join lives with other lives. And give God praise and glory and honor. I don't ever want to lose my, my, my respect for the sacrifice and the blood and the sweat and the tears and the toil the miraculous provision the divine appointment the obedient to the call men and women who have given themselves to the work of God and to the ministry of God that we can freely walk in here and enjoy his presence without abandon so just think about this for a moment just think about the things, this thing for a moment. The countless lives that woke up this day, this morning, without the privilege to come into the house of God. Perhaps they don't know they can come into the house or perhaps they don't even want to come into the house. They don't have a desire to come in the house. Nevertheless, they woke up today without the feeling of his presence and they will spend the day absent of his word strengthening their lives and they will lay down their heads tonight having never experienced the beauty of what we are privileged to experience in this very moment from the time we walk in until the last note is sung God has always given us his promise and has been right in the midst of us and I want to behold his beauty every time I enter in to his house and so it can't be it absolutely must not be another day at the office for me 
but I've got to come in with expectation because it's here. It's here in this place that I can find community. It's here in this place that I can find correction. It is here in this place that I can experience affection and it's here in this place that I can experience direction for my life. David said, when thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Often David faced battles. He underwent tragedy. He faced key decisions in his life. And in those moments, he often called for Abiathar, the priest. David would inquire of the Lord and the Lord would answer him giving David specific instructions and direction at times the instructions would be to run and hide while others would be to stand and fight for David seeking and obeying the counsel of God was just as much a source of strength and protection as any body armor any sword or any band of special forces soldiers behind him Seeking God's counsel first and obeying God's counsel will always, hear me now, always save us and protect us from additional heartache and despair. This world is not our home. This world has a curse on it. And so we have to live our lives among a fallen generation. And the things that fall on the unjust also happen to the just. But if we will put ourselves in the center of his word and obey his word, his word will cause us to succeed. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, no matter the turning point, in my life, I must always seek his counsel. Because the fact of the matter is this. Life is filled with too many of those things. Life is filled with too many pitfalls. Life is filled with too many crouching lions. Life is filled with too many enemies that are pursuing after us to do anything other than rely upon God and his word. Because quite frankly, I've already said it. I'll say it again. There will be trouble. Psalm 27 is one of the best known and most comforting psalms in the Psalter. However, its, its structure has, has somewhat caused some deba debate among scholars and they've debated over its overall focus. Some have even argued that it's not one comprehensive psalm but two psalms that have been awkwardly placed together. Few of them even argue that it may not have even been composed by the same author, perhaps. You see, in the first half, David exudes great confidence in God. While in the second, the psalm takes on a so-called contrary mood in that the psalmist laments and cries out to his God in his trouble. Yeah. I don't weary myself in such debates because I believe, I believe that this is divinely inspired and if that psalm is together in this book, then that's what God intended it for it to be. I don't weary myself because the book is divinely inspired. And every word is full of strategic purpose. Because what we really find here in Psalm 27 is a comprehensive unfolding of two closely related moods penned by the same inspired 
author. Let me say it a different way. What we see in Psalm 27 is humanity. What we find here is that these two apparent opposing moods find their dwelling place in one man, which is humanity. They exist at the same time, at, 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 at nearly the same time at least, and they exist in nearly, if not all, each and every one of us, either at the same time or in nearly the same time. David reveals his humanity to us by showing us really who we are and what we see and what we feel on a daily basis. On one hand, we have absolute confidence in God. On one hand, we have absolute confidence in his word and in his miraculous power. Yet at the same time, life has a way of causing us to have doubts and fears and failures and struggles. And that is as real as the next breath you take. And so I reiterate, if these two opposing quote-unquote moods exist in us simultaneously or at least in quick succession, then I submit to us here today that there is never a time not to seek the presence of God. I want to seek Him when I'm at my best. I want to seek Him when things are seemingly going my way. I want to seek Him when my confidence is at an all-time high. When I have money in the bank, I want to seek Him. When I have a good vehicle to drive or clothes on my back, I want to seek Him. When I have a wealth of friends that are around me, I want to seek Him. But on the contrary, I'm going to seek Him in the valley. I'm going to seek Him through my struggle. I'm going to seek Him through my trial. Because in any situation, He will be my only source of strength. Oh, why don't we just give Him praise for a moment. In any situation, we can trust Him. Hallelujah. I hasten, I hasten. David begins in confidence and he ends with a confident admonishment. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. It's something that has been mentioned. It's something that has been preached and proclaimed countless times before. But no one likes or looks forward to waiting. In the natural world, we want instant gratification. We don't want to wait for anything. A hamburger, a haircut, or an oil change. We don't want to wait. And You see where I stand in all of that. You'll get that on the way home. Now hear me, faster isn't always better. A quick oil change is not always good. A fast hamburger is not good for you. I won't talk about haircut. But if we're not careful, we'll let that Western mindset infiltrate our prayer. You see, we want a yes or a no answer, and we wanted it yesterday. But more times than not, God has a third answer, and that's wait. The matter of the fact is this, is that things that David prayed for and the things that we prayed for don't come all at once. 
Because there's, there's something in the waiting. There's something to the waiting. It's by design. God, hear me, is worth waiting on. And the things that he has for us according to his will are worth waiting for. While life will run its course and we will inevitably face hardship, it's the only prescription to make it through Isaiah 40, 31. Hear me, you, you can quote it, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. It's the only prescription to make it through. So those that learn to seek God early and often quickly find, quickly find that there is refuge in His presence. When they have storms that rage high, they run to Him because they're used to running to Him when the skies are clear and there is no thunder rumbling in the distance. And when they do, they find a living, loving God with open arms ready to protect them from whatever is furiously pursuing them. Every morning after breakfast, the Dutch clockmaker Casper Ten Boom would take out the, the big family Bible and read a chapter. Looking back years later, his daughter Corey remembered that on her first day of school, the chapter was particularly lengthy. It was Psalm 119, the longest in the Bible. Yet, among all those verses, one of, the, one of them stood out in particular. Psalm 119 and 114. Thou art my hiding place and my shield, I hope. In thy word. Little did Corey Tinboom know as a little girl of six that years later her tiny top floor room would become a hiding place for Jews escaping the Nazi Holocaust. As a German war machine rolled across Europe, that Tinboom family's country of Holland fell in, in a mere five days. And, but as the, the old grandfather Casper Tinboom told a teenage boy eager to fight the Germans, Holland's battle had just begun. For the Ten Boom family, that battle meant taking in Jews who began showing up in ones and twos, then whole families tapping on the alley door after curfew and asking for sanctuary. But the presence of the fugitives in their home was dangerous. See, the police station was just a half a block away. So the Ten Boom family contacted the Dutch underground, and one of the foremost architects in Holland began to turn his skills to building a false wall in Corey's room. Members of the resistance began slipping in and out of the watch shop, each bringing a tool and a folded newspaper, a few bricks and a briefcase. And brick by brick, that false wall began to rise. When it was finally completed and Corey was allowed back in her room, she gasped. The room smelled of fresh paint, but there was no sign of it on the walls. Instead, all four walls showed the dark streaks that came from coal heating and water stains that came from leaky roofs. The crown molding ran unbroken around the ceiling, chipped and peeling, looking just as it had a century and a half ago. Old, sagging bookshelves lined the false wall with water stains matching the walls behind them. And in the very bottom of one of these bookshelves was a sliding door, two feet square, that allowed access to the tiny 30-inch room that ran behind the wall. Any Jew sheltering with the Tim Boone family could hide there whenever the, 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 the Gestapo raided the shop. The architect, known only by the alias Mr. Smith, banged on the solid brick wall and proclaimed that the, the Gestapo could search for a year. They'll never find this one. With the help of that hiding place, Corey Tinboom and her family saved over 800 Jews from Nazi death camps until finally they were betrayed by a fellow Dutchman 
and they were sent to concentration camps themselves. There the aged Casper Ten Boom died within days. Corey's sister Betsy was also killed. Corey went through unimaginable tragedy, deprivation, and cruelty. Yet in the camp at Ravensbrook, Corey discovered that she had a hiding place even more secure than Mr. Smith's incredible false wall. Even in that place of death, God was hiding her in his hiding place. Ultimately, Corey was released due to a clerical error a week before all the other women were taken to the gas chamber. Not only did, the, did she survive physically, but she survived emotionally and spiritually as well. She was even able to face and forgive two of her German captors. And she went on to share her experiences and the gospel message in 61 countries, including the Soviet Union and behind the Iron Curtain. So if you'll stand with me this morning, I'll end with this. I don't know where you are today. I know where you are physically. But I don't know where you are spiritually, emotionally. You may be in peak physical health with no emotional distress and your world is seemingly problem free. To you, I would say don't wait until the skies begin to darken or the clouds begin to roll in to cultivate a relationship with God. Build that room now. On the other hand, I don't know what trials you're facing or the challenges that have presented themselves to you, but what I can tell you, not as a novice, not as someone who have read this from a self-help book or a pamphlet, it is absolutely from experience that there is a refuge. There is a refuge. I'll say it again, there is a refuge. There is a place of strength that you can find and you can find it right here, right now, right where you stand. There is a friend that will stick closer than a brother and there is a God who loves you and there is a God who can comfort you and there is a God that can give you peace and it all can be obtained right here, right now in his presence. His name is Jesus and he is in this room and if you would just lift up your hands and lift up your voice for just a moment of time, God can visit you and God can do whatever it is that you need him to do. Come on, for just a few moments, let's just cry out to him. Let's thank him. Let's praise him for what he said he would do. For what he said he would do, he will do. Because his word is forever settled. His promises are in him, yea, and they are in him, amen. And he is who he says he is. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I'm thankful for the peace that I find in his presence. And I'm thankful for the comfort that I feel in this house right now. One more time, let's clap our hands to the Lord and thank him for everything he has done.
This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.